I bought one of these, but it was a few years ago when uh, I was going to do some sanding and painting around the house. And right now, as I hold it in my hand, I uh, have a lot of different thoughts than I did back then. What do you think about a mask? You know, for some people, it's a symbol of protection and safety from the virus or to keep it from spreading to other people. But for some who even hear the word mask, to them it's a symbol of control and they want no parts of it whatsoever. They're not afraid of it, they run from it. And uh, it's really creating a divisive situation in our country, isn't it? A friend of mine who's a pastor of a nearby church told me this week that he sees three groups of Christians kind of coming together with extreme viewpoints. And the first are those who value health most of all. They desire to protect people and to prevent transmission. And when they would think about reopening their church, well, they would probably want to wait until 2021. That's because they want to preserve and protect life. And, you know, that is a good and godly thing. Then my friend said there's a second group of Christians, those who want to uh, protect wealth. They desire to get their jobs back, to get society reopened, to have businesses back where they are free from the potential of bankruptcy and loss of business. They want to be able to feed their families and pay their bills. And as for worship, well, they would probably be glad to worship today with the precautions in place. They just want to get back to normal their jobs and life as soon as possible, and that's a good and a godly position. And then he told me that there are, there's a third group, those who value religious freedom above all else. And that's because they think the church is an essential business, an essential ministry. And they say that we have a clear biblical duty to disobey our government whenever it contradicts the authority of God. And on that point, if that would be true, they have a good and godly stance. You know, there's truth in every one of these three positions. But any position, any truth taken to an extreme becomes divisive to our church body. And as God's new community, he calls us to be one body, unified in our love for each other, not divided in matters among which we differ. So let me ask you, what have your conversations been like this past week? Complaining, maybe, about what's going on, the conditions, the restrictions, the uncertainty? Criticizing other Christians for not agreeing with your particular views? Or maybe you're just perplexed about what's going on and avoiding conversation entirely. Is the Church of Jesus Christ in America presenting a view of the gospel 
that is attractive and hopeful to people who need answers about their spiritual condition and what God is doing. I suspect that by our words, some of us are making the church the last place that people will want to come to once the church reopens. We're acting like Jesus is not the head of our church. And you recall Pastor Shep a few weeks ago talked to us about that. And we're devaluing members of his body by rejecting them or criticizing them as if we do not respect them or value them at all. And last Sunday, Jim reminded us of how important it is to do that. So, today, I would like to show us how important it is to have unity in the body of Christ so that we can function well and so that we can act together in unity. And the passage that I'd like us to look at today is Ephesians chapter 4. So, take your Bible and let's look together at Ephesians 4 the first six verses. I'll read them. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In verse 1, Paul begins by urging the church to live in a way that is worthy of God's calling. Did you hear that? God's calling. Christians are called by God. That's a remarkable description. It's not that we thought this up on our own or we decided to join the church, but rather because we are dead. When we be, are born, we're dead in our sins. We're cut off from the life of God. Being a part of God's new community demands that he invite us, that he call us to join his family first. So God started the process, and the Bible describes that by God drawing us revealing our sin to us and our need for forgiveness. And then when we hear that call, we respond to it by repenting of our sin and trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. And when we do that, we become part of that called people, the church. God's new community. We've joined, you see, this new people who have been chosen and predestined and blessed with every spiritual blessing. And now, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we form a spiritual temple 
that worships God. That's our identity. That's our calling that Paul describes in the first few chapters of the book of Ephesians. So here, when he tells us that we are God's called people, he reminds us, he urges us to live up to our calling. And I love that pattern in scripture. We see it all the time where God, first of all, tells us who we are, our identity, and then he tells us to live out that identity in the way we act. That's so, so important to understand the difference between being and becoming. Religion says, do and you will be. And Christianity says, be and then start to become who you really are. And that's what Paul does in verse 1 when he urges us to live out in a worthy way how we have been called. And so in verses 2 through 3, Paul then explains how we should live worthily as Christians. And the way he does it is to say that since you live in relationships to other people, you can see it primarily in the way you treat people, in your attitudes toward them. So, uh, he says, first of all, that we should treat other people with all humility and gentleness. That means putting other people first instead of ourselves. And the word gentle almost has a weak sound to it, doesn't it? But the word itself in the original language refers to strength that is under control. This pair of words is actually used of our Lord Jesus when he said of himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The next word Paul uses to describe the way we should live out our Christianity with other people is with that simple word, patience. This word is sometimes translated in other versions, long-suffering, not short-suffering. It's also the word that God uses of himself in the Old Testament when he speaks of him being slow to anger. That's the way we should treat other Christians, with patience, long-suffering, not a short fuse, but a long one, because that's how our God is, and he's working in our hearts to conform us to his image. The next word Paul uses or the next phrase says, bearing with others in love. That means putting up with people, not straightening them out. Do you hear the emphasis that Paul is saying here? It's almost like he knows that friction will come. If you live as a Christian by yourself, you can probably get along with yourself fairly well. Me, myself, and I, tend to agree on most things. 
but add another human being and there's potential friction there. And that's why Paul says you must maintain the unity that God has already created. And that's the last phrase that he says. By striving, by working hard, this is the word, making every effort to keep the unity that the Spirit has created. Think about this for a moment. When we become part of God's new community, the church, we are instantly united to the people of God that began in the Garden of Eden. And it continues up to this very moment when people all around the world, when they turn to Christ, are now placed into God's new family and community, the church. We are adopted, forgiven, declared righteous, blessed with every spiritual blessing, and predestined for glory to come. Everyone the same way. There's no first class, second class, third class seating. There's no caste system here. There's no, no, there isn't any of that. We are all together blessed by God, united in the community of God's people. That's what God has done. And Paul says we are called to keep that going, to maintain it, to preserve it, not to create it. It's already there. But it takes effort since our tendency is to go our own way, right, as an individual. And there goes our unity. And that's why Paul says we have to make an effort, a concerted effort to preserve it. And he says you do that by realizing that the peace of God that comes into your heart is what binds together the church. When there is that settled sense of peace and harmony in your heart that you spill over to other people by the Holy Spirit, oh, it's a beautiful thing to experience. You know when it's not there, and you know when it is. Strive for it, work for it, pray for it. And then in verses 4 through 6, Paul does something very unusual. He takes the word one and he uses it seven times to describe the unity that we have in God's church. You see where he says? There is one body. That's what we call the universal church. All of God's people from all of time. God's new community. And there is one spirit, one Holy Spirit, the one who brings us into the community. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that he baptizes us he immerses us into this new fellowship with God and other people. He baptizes us by his spirit. God does. There is one hope. That hope that we all have, that someday we will be fully perfected with God and his people on the new earth forever and ever. 
I can't wait for that day. What a hope. There is one Lord, that is, Jesus Christ. He is our master, the one with supreme authority over this universe and over our lives and over his church. Fifth, he says, there is one faith. And that's not so much talking about the faith that we have in our hearts to believe, but it means the things that we do believe, the faith that was once for all delivered to God's people. It's our common creed. It's the essentials of our faith. And then he says, one baptism. That outward display that we do when we believe in Jesus and now show everyone else in the community that we are part of it by being immersed into God's people by his spirit and outwardly by water. And then finally, seventh, he says, there is one God and Father, the one who is ruler over all of his creation, including his church. How about that? One, seven times. Did you hear that? Unity, oneness. We live as one because our Christian faith has so many singularities, so much oneness in it. One Christian said many years ago, that which has been believed everywhere, always, and by all, is what unites the church. God unites us. Our confession is unified and Paul says, keep it, preserve it. It's a beautiful thing to experience, and it's a wonderful witness to the world to watch. Now, this passage is timeless, isn't it? Since there's always a need to pursue unity anytime in a church. There's so much that could divide us. But now, more than ever, we're facing a new challenge. It was one thing, you know, to talk about closing the church and its ministries back in March, but it's quite another thing to consider opening us up. We now have what we're calling a uh, reopening task force. They're hard at work thinking about all the options and what it will look like when we finally reopen. Uh, they're consulting with other churches and with our governing authorities to make sure that we do this right. And as they begin to make plans for that, all I can say is right now we're at the beginning stage and we don't know when or what the first step will even look like right now. But whenever we do have definite plans, obviously we will let you know and I want to challenge us that this is going to be a great opportunity for us to practice church unity and what it means to live out this calling to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, when Paul wrote Romans in chapters 14 and 15, he addressed 
disunity in that church. Back then they were arguing about uh, keeping the Sabbath day. Some Christians did, some Christians didn't. And whether they could eat certain kosher foods or not. And some Christians did and some Christians didn't. And they were really fussing with each other over these secondary matters of the Christian faith. And in those chapters, Paul reminds them not that you, each group, need to instruct the other group on which group is right, but rather take a deep breath and remember to accept each other. That love for each other is more important than winning the argument. And the same thing holds true here. So I'd like to say that uh, some of you, when you hear about plans to reopen, will no doubt be cautious. Not even coming to church right away in any kind of gathering. Or if you do come, you're going to be protected. You will bring your mask and wear it and make sure that you social distance. You might fear for your health because of your age or some other reason. And that's good. And that's a godly position. But let me ask you, can you sacrifice that vision of caution for other people who will disagree with that and hold a different view? Will you love them since they sincerely think that it's time to reopen society and the church and go back to work and resume life? What will you write about on your Facebook page or your social media platform? Is it time maybe to avoid all that exposure and uh, maybe too much exposure to the news media? Maybe the news that you watch that fits your mindset? And maybe just stop and think about the larger truth, the abiding truth that God's church will go on no matter what, and the unity of the church is the beautiful truth and reality that must be preserved. How can you speak words of charity to those that will disagree with you and with whom you will disagree? And those words, how can they display the unity that you share together? How can you show patience to your spiritual family and work harder at peace than division. And some of us will be overly ready to meet together and never wanting to wear a mask or even think about it. You might even think that it's cowardly to wear one or to stay home or that in some sense People are disobeying scripture if they don't regather when we reopen. Well, can I ask you to sacrifice your vision of that reality for others who may not agree with you out of love for them since they sincerely believe that precautions are necessary? Can you show humility by admitting that you don't have all the answers? What will you write on your social media? 
What words will you use? What themes will you choose? I'm going to challenge you and say maybe it's time to back off of the amount of time that you look at the media and the news that fuels your particular stance. Are you ready to speak words of charity to those who disagree and display that kind of unity of the body of Christ that the world needs to see and that your brothers and sisters need to hear? Can you show patience to your spiritual family? We're going to need it. And can you work harder at peace than at questioning and at division? I'm going to pray in a moment and pray for us, but we need to hear a prayer that Jesus prayed. In John chapter 17, he said this, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world, the watching world, may believe. That is far more important than what side we are on, or that maybe we're so confused we don't even know what the sides are or how to choose a side. That's okay. The most important thing is the unity of the body of Christ and your role in making every effort to preserve what our Savior died to create. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this time in our nation, in our world. And thank you for today. Oh, may we think deeply about our words our positions, and how we value our brothers and sisters in your body of Christ, the one that we are a part of now and forever. Give us love and patience, we pray, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is gentle and humble at heart. Amen.